Hey everyone, make sure you stay tuned after the show to listen to a short story called Each Dawn I Die by Mark Tullius. Scene one, Apple, take one. Oops, caught me smoking, and I have a very special guest today. He is, let me pull up my screen here real quick. He is an author of highly rated horror, suspense, and science fiction books, and the creator of the Try Not to Die series, and the host of Vicious Whispers, Mark Tullius. Hey, How's it going, up, buddy? Good, oh, good. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, not a problem, not a problem. Uh, big fan of your podcast. That's how I got to I got to know you, and then I saw you over on Podmatch too, and I was like, "All right, so this has got to be like a calling," since I was listening to your podcast, and then you just popped up on my matches, and I was like, "Got to get him on the show," and here you are. And thanks That's... again for coming on and taking a little bit of time out of your day. No, man, I, I appreciate this. And when I saw what you were called, I was like, "Oh, I got to be on this." I was like, "Something pro cannabis." That's huge. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I try to like I'm not a doctor or anything. I, I'm you know, I'm just an avid cannabis user and I've been using cannabis for uh uh aches, pains, like stress, insomnia sometimes, and you know, just like just to get through your everyday life, you know, all that all that good jazz. I am a medical card user and um I was wondering, just to kick off the podcast, um, how do you use cannabis? I Mainly use a vaporizer. So I have a volcano vaporizer. I feel like that's a little bit safer. Um, I don't have to worry about the smell. I have kids. I don't want it really in their face. Um, And so it's generally that and edibles. Um, And usually I'll wait on edibles until like I'll use those to help me sleep at night. Um, But for the most part, you know, it, it used to be, I used to do use a bong all the time. I used to enjoy that. I used to mm-hmm. do joints all the time. Man, anything that was available, I would do, um, you know, but for now it's been the vaporizer. Oh, okay. Do you use like the the little cartridges? Uh, no, it's just, um, I don't know if you've ever seen, it's just a machine. It's a little silver machine called oh, okay. a volcano. And yeah. uh, you just put it, you put the weed right on top of it, uh, fills up this huge bag and the bags are like mm-hmm. two feet long. And um, yeah, so that way you're getting, there might still be some bad stuff in there, but I think you're getting rid of all the, you know, carcinogens or whatever else. And you're getting, you know, the shit that you want to. Right. You're just pretty much burning the cannabinoids and not the flower itself. Mm, exactly. Right. Yeah. All the all the stuff that you need without the stuff that you don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Because I, I definitely worry about my health. You know, when I when I was younger, I didn't really care so much. I, man, I didn't think I was going to live past 24. Um, mm-hmm. And I've been smoking since I was 15. Um, but it's probably been since I had kids that I got a little bit more concerned with, uh, you know, overall health. I was like, OK, it's hard to justify doing something that might really be hurting me. So, right. Um, you know that's why I, st- I switched to the vaporizer. Right. Yep. Yep. I also I also have a four year old, and it's I went from like smoking all day every day to I smoke in the morning before he gets up, and I smoke at night when he goes to bed. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> now, is that was was that a hard transition for you? Because like, were you an all day smoker? 
Um, I yeah, I was a I was not like all day every day. You know, I wasn't like joint after joint after joint. You know, but it would it was like casual. Like I would get up, I would smoke, and then in the afternoon I'd smoke again. Then right before dinner I'd smoke. Then at night I would really smoke, and then you know just have like hang out with friends and just you know just get high like back in the day. And uh, it wasn't until like I actually started using it for like pain and stuff where I actually found like the health benefits that it has. And yeah, yeah that's, that's, um, I, I've been looking, I'm, I'm writing a book on traumatic brain injuries. One of the chapters is on cannabis or a third of the chapter. Um, cause I talk about it a lot. Cause so three years ago, four years ago, when I started doing the research, like I had to take a, you know, I was doing a brain journal. So I would write down everything that was happening that day, which included mm-hmm. how much I was smoking. But my typical days were, man, I, it'd be wake up, smoke weed, take care of the kids, get mm-hmm. them to school, whatever else, smoke weed, go back out an hour, half later, smoke weed. And it was, man, it was all day long. Um, but then when I started doing different uh, things for my brain, mm-hmm. uh, it completely cut my tolerance in half each time. So when yeah. I got... Um, was oh hormone regulation um and my doctor warned me and said hey you're you're going to notice there's going to be a decrease in your cannabis use i'm like ah, i don't think so uh, but <laughs> yeah, like, right. i could only handle maybe half of what i had been using um and it would make me really paranoid i'd get real anxious if i used too much um and then the other thing i did was neurofeedback and again that cut my use in half and so now it's pretty much unless someone comes over you know i'll wait until like six o'clock at night before i smoke mm-hmm. right so, um, yeah I- you also have like things like edibles and uh, CBD to actually get you through the day too. That's what usually what I use is CBD. It'll help with the stress you, and anxiety and stuff too. Do you have? I was going to ask if if you mainly have uh, is is it physical pain or there? So you do have anxiety too? Yeah, I do have like uh, like I get overwhelmed. Like I I tend to take on too much and then I get overwhelmed and that's when the anxiety and stuff takes on kicks in. And that's, you know, it helps, it mellows me out, you know, and then it's, it comes, it comes to realize that what I thought was overwhelming me was this like, no dude, you're just scatterbrained. And then you just, you know, I just need to slow down a little bit and then, you know, and weed helps me helps with that. And also I have like, I have back problems and I have, uh, two bolts and three screws and holding my knee together. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, pain management is a good thing with cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. I used to, I used to use a, eat a lot of uh, prescription drugs like Vicodin and stuff like that. And there was just, I, I couldn't do it anymore. It was getting really bad. Now does the, does the cannabis help you almost as much as far as the pain is like Vicodin or it just takes off the edge enough to where it's worth it. It, it doesn't it doesn't take me I don't know further than I need to be mm-hmm. pretty much it like it, it it gets me into a, a level where I it's not like completely gone I still know it's there like if I like if I move quickly or something it's still there but it like it, it makes you forget about it almost it doesn't re- it doesn't really, really relieve the pain because it's still there once you like tweak or something but it does it does help you forget about it mm-hmm yeah, no, that's definitely one reason why I like it. We just, my family, and I just started doing jujitsu again after this year long break and like mm-hmm. my body's just a mess. Uh, so it definitely helps with pain too. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, you know, it's funny that you mentioned jujitsu because I was going to get into this. I have a, I have a little clip. I, I don't know if you want me to play it or not. I'm like, I, I could, I could bring it up if you want. But Is it me getting my ass kicked? No, it's well, you were in a, you were testing your uh, rubber. Your oh, rubber okay. Position. Yeah, and the in a jujitsu tournament, I believe it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I was, um, I think it was like four years ago. So, I, and I put it up there, like I didn't even win the match. I lost on points, but mm-hmm. I was just proud that I could do it, you know, at my age, you know, hanging with bigger, uh, much younger guys too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The guy that you were, yeah, that you were aspiring with was the, mu- was the much bigger guy. He looked. And, and we smoked right before that too. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. We kept going out to the van to go smoke right before <laughs> our matches. Oh, nice, nice. Now, are you a former MMA fighter, or did like did you yeah, get it, or? But a really shitty one. Okay, uh, okay. So I'm I'm one of those guys that tried to fight. I tried to fight out out of college. Um, gave it a shot. Wasn't very good. Kept doing it. Um, I didn't have a ton of fights, but between so between professional boxing and MMA, I think it was like 14 fights, but with a losing record. And so okay. I, you know, and that's. And that's one reason why my brain got fucked up because, you know, I was taking a lot of damage. Um, I was a tough guy. I was a, you know, a big, strong, tough guy, but I wasn't fighting for the right reasons. I didn't have any tools. I had never really, you know, I kind of, I started training. I just jumped right in mm-hmm. and that feeling of, you know, not being a very good fighter at all, that almost stopped me from doing my book on um, MMA fighters, you know, cause I was like, I was like, who the hell am I to write a story or a book about fighters if I was a shitty fighter, you know? And, uh, but then luckily I had a lot of friends that were telling me like that has nothing to do with it. And, you know, just kind of, I, I was able to relate with all the guys I interviewed, which was cool. And especially, mm-hmm. and it drew me back into actually training. So I went from like a 245 pound, really out of shape guy. You know, I'd only been taking care of my daughter, um, to actually getting back in there and sparring with these guys and, um, you know, but not like I was doing any damage to them, but they, they, they definitely put some on me, but it was, it was an awesome experience, but it was almost, you know, I almost let that self doubt of being a shitty fighter stop me. Right. Yeah. Like sometimes like what I always tell everybody is that when, when you first start something, you're going to suck at it. Like it takes, it takes lots and lots of practice to perfect something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I think it was like 10,000 hours. Someone once said, I don't know. I yeah, yeah. I think I think that was the the over. I mean, I I still I still use that number. Uh, but yeah, the definitely you have to just keep at it. Whatever you're gonna do, like that's what we try to tell our kids. Like, hey, find out what you like right now. We don't care if it's college or whatever. Like, find something you're passionate about. Start doing that. Like, so my daughter, she's been singing, and uh, my son, he's a wants to be a gamer. So, but just like every other kid, but right. um, you know, I was like, yeah. But I think that's the goal: is find what you like, and then just keep putting those hours in because you're going to get really good if you put that much time into something. Right. Exactly. And uh, speaking of getting really, really good at something, you are a very, very good author, sir. I have oh. listened to a couple of your short stories that you have on YouTube. That follows your podcast. And I think, I think the one with, with the priest, I think they're kind of, they're kind of, your stories are kind of a little, little bit disturbing. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> a little bit, but yeah, go ahead and uh, tell us about your novels. Like, cause you have like quite a few novels out, don't you? Yeah. I think the one, um, uh, I think six hell Marys, that's a short story. Cause yep. right now I'm playing 25 perfect days. Um, that's like a collection is 30 stories, uh, kind of dystopian horror, uh, feel to it. Uh, lots of my stuff is really dark. Also I have a twisted reunion. That's all 
horror, uh, Untold Mayhem, all short stories, horror. Um, and then I have Ain't No Messiah. That's more, it's still pretty dark, but more like a coming of age about this kid who's told that he's the second coming of Christ, uh, can't seem to die. And, uh, you know, and so it's all about him trying to figure out whether or not he really is the Messiah. Uh, oh, okay. And in the meantime, he has a lot of dirty sex and <laughs> a lot of inappropriate stuff happening to him. Um, and then the one I have a lot of fun with is uh, Try Not to Die. Those okay. are uh, those are shorter novels. Um, they Every couple of pages, uh, you have to choose what happens. And if you choose wrong, you die. Uh, okay. I was, yeah, I was a big fan of Choose Your Own Adventures as a kid. And in those books... You know, you could go down this whole different path. Uh, you know, when you make your choices, not all like there are some really good endings, happy endings. Um, but in my book, there's like only one way through and then everything else is you, you're dying, you're dying, you're dying. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's that's what I spend most of my time on. Um, spent the last three years working on my traumatic brain injury book, um, you know, trying to do both things at the same time. Uh, and that book I just finished. And so I'm really excited about that. I'm going to release that uh, this October. Um and so, yeah, hopefully it, I, I had sworn off of nonfiction after my MMA book, but um, I realized just how many people could benefit from this TBI book. Because so many people have traumatic brain injuries and they just have no idea that they do. Um, and that's actually why I started writing, because I had football player uh, teammates of mine that didn't even go on to do MMA or anything stupid like I did. And they are in brain studies. They're at the end of their rope. Uh, you know, I just had lost a friend who... Uh, he died of cancer, but it was because he couldn't fight the, he couldn't do chemotherapy because his, his brain was so bad um, wow. from, the, from the CTE. So, um, yeah, so even though I didn't want to write it, I'm, I'm glad I did. Right. Yeah. No, that book is like, uh, I don't, I don't want to say a sequel, but like a volume two to uh, your first book, Unlocking the Cage. Yeah, it was it definitely it wasn't meant to be, but that is that is the reason why. Because I was, you know, I, I've interviewed so many fighters. I, I consider them my friends. Most of these guys I talked with, men and women, um, and I know a lot of them are going to have, you know, a lot of problems, especially when they start hitting my age. When you start, when you hit your forties, uh, and that's when the hormones seem to really take a slide, um, you know, and, and so mm -hmm. a lot of people. And when I started this traumatic brain injury book, I thought I was completely fine. Dude, I, I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm fine. I don't need it. Like, I wasn't even going to do the testing. The only reason I did the testing was for research purposes. And then I was seeing the results. I'm like, oh, man. I was like, my brain is jacked. <laughs> right. Um, so, but yeah, but it's, but that's what's really cool. Like, I'm, I'm glad that I found that out because I was able to reverse so much. Like, I can't say... I can't say that I'm not going to have CTE and dementia down the road or whatever, mm -hmm. but I think I 100% improved my life. My, you know, uh, it, the, like the changes, the change is amazing as far as like how much stress I could handle, my anxiety, my depression, um, you know, the rage issues, uh, all all these different things, uh, mm -hmm. impulse control. Um, man, they're, they're no longer issues anymore. And, and it's cut my cannabis, you know, to a quarter of what it used to be. So, nice. um, you know, so that's pretty awesome too. Not that cannabis is terrible, but, um, I've always, I've always, uh, had a hard time, you know, trying to rationalize cannabis use, you know, cause mm -hmm. I, I think I've always been a little bit too fearful, like, oh man, is this, you know, is it, is it hurting me? Do we, you know, cause we don't really know, you know, the, well, I just say there haven't been enough studies to know completely. Um, but I did look at one of the 
when I was writing the cannabis chapter, one of the doctors, uh, I was reading his book, Dr. Daniel Amen. He's one of the leading brain scientists in America. Okay. Um, in his book, he makes a strong case against cannabis, saying that it actually accelerates the the brain aging more than alcohol does, and it mm -hmm. lowers blood flow to certain areas of the brain. And that's with them yeah. looking at a shitload of all these brain scans. They do, uh, I think it's SPECT scans, SPECT scans um, that measure blood flow. But, you know, I, I talk about that in the book. I think that's mm -hmm. probably my biggest concern. But even with that, I was like, okay, to let's say it is accelerating accelerating my brain a little bit aging wise it's let's say it's, let's say it's a little bit bad for my brain down the road okay it, it improves my quality of life so much day to day that it's worth it you know like when i smoke generally the first thing i'll do is go and apologize to my family for being an asshole earlier you know i'm looking at myself I, i'm very it helps me be uh you know self-reflective and, mm -hmm. and 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 yeah. accountable so um yep. You know, and then all the other great things that come with it, how much it helps my writing, um, you know, but it just it just helps me, I think, be me a little bit more and, and yes. just bring everything down. Yep. Yeah. It's like it turns the volume down a little bit, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, it, like with people like, like scatterbrain like myself are pretty much I'm over here. Now I'm over here. Like I'm a chef uh, by by nature. So being scatterbrained is a good thing, kind of like during the day while I'm at work. But when I'm trying to mellow it out, it's not. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's, yeah, cannabis, yeah, it slows everything down and it's, it's great. But the whole thing with the, the aging of the brain thing that like, like intrigues me because um, Willie Nelson is pushing what, 90 now? And yeah. This dude smokes like a chimney. Well. Yeah. He seems to do be doing very well. And it seems like. All the like famous people, because I, I don't want to, I don't want to judge my life upon theirs, but they seem like all the cannabis users that are like famous are like older and still around. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm not too concerned. And then the other thing to consider too is what else are you doing? Like I'm doing a lot of other things for my brain that mm -hmm. maybe these other people, you know, they just weren't. Maybe, you know, maybe they're more just getting high and sitting on the couch all day and they don't care about exercising or they don't care about, you know, this yeah. or that or all these other healthy things that they could be doing. So, yeah, man, I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I'm just going to, you know, try to, I'll just, my main thing is being responsible and because I want to, I want to, you know, because my daughter's 13 and she knows about cannabis use. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, I want to raise her to be responsible with it, too. And, right. Uh, yeah. So just be a, a better role model. I don't want to, you know, I think there were times where I was like, you know, all 100 percent pro weed, you know, no matter what. But, you know, in the book, I'm like, OK, look, if you're under I, I forget what age it is, but when your brain's still developing, there are some studies that show that you shouldn't probably be smoking weed. Mm -hmm. You know, it could hurt you a little bit. Um but again, whatever, man, find, find what works for you. And if, if, if cannabis works better than Vicodin, which like hundred percent, I would do that, you know, cannabis <laughs> yes. over alcohol, hundred percent, I would do that. Yes. You know? So there's, there's so many things that, uh, I, I, I think it's, it's not harmless, but it's a very, very, very good option. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now, uh, uh, I've seen like some of your interviews on YouTube, the, your YouTube interviews, um, in, You've interviewed probably like my favorite female MMA fighter, uh, Paige Van Zant, <laughs> and yeah, I was. I just want to know, like, I, I, you don't have to go into detail about the interviews that you went on with them, but I just want to know what is it like? Are you like starstruck almost when you see these some of these fighters that you interview? 
Some of them, but like with her, I had never heard of her before. Uh, I just, okay. and how I handled unlocking the cage, lots of times I would, uh, sometimes the people at the gym wouldn't even know I was there. Um, I would just show up, I would watch practice or join in with people. And then I would say, hey, you know, whoever wants to do an interview, let's talk. Um, and like with her, it was, so she just did this long workout, a hard workout. Um, and then I asked her if she wanted to do it and she was so bubbly and happy and like mm -hmm. you could just tell like throughout the whole workout she was just an awesome person um so uh yeah i think that was right before her first ufc fight i think she had just gotten her contract there um okay. but yeah but it, it was it was pretty awesome uh you know uh, i think dominic cruz um oh you know, wow we, it was probably like a 20, 25 minute interview, but it was just awesome. And my buddy who was a huge MMA fan, he's like, dude, he's like, I never heard those stories out of him before. And he was like blown away by it. Um, so it was, it was really cool. And being able to train uh, like at AKA and all these different places um, uh, like Winkle John's um, uh, Jackson Winkle John's like that was an awesome gym. And, you know, there uh, Mike Winkle John was just sending me fighters uh right after practice oh and he was actually making it part of their practice he's like hey he's like go do mark's interview go do mark's interview and so oh. it was awesome i got so many guys um and actually one cool story there i was getting ready to interview cowboy cerrone i'd already asked him i really wanted to interview him um and then there was this amateur fighter that was there and he asked if i would be willing to talk to him mm -hmm. and so i knew if I talk to that dude, then I'm not going to be able to talk to Cowboy. And I was leaving, but I did it. And I was like, I'm so glad I did it because this guy, Nico, like awesome story. We really connected. We were, you know, we uh, were talking like he was, it was very therapeutic for both of us. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I made a really cool friend with it. And meanwhile, Cowboy's already told his story so many times. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was cool. And that's, that's what I liked. I liked being able to just to talk to, you know, the lowest fighters to the champions to, so it was, it was a really cool sampling of people. I think I got a really good understanding. You know, I was going to rich areas. I was going to poor areas. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, trying to, trying to hit it and trying to interview as many uh, females as possible too. That, that was tough just because there weren't as nearly as many around. Right. Yeah, exactly. Now, did you like, did, it, did you talk to any fighters that were suffering from like CTE because of fighting or no? None that um, none that were aware of it or none that brought it up. Okay. Um, I, I, I kind of looked for it. I, I had this talk with uh, Dr. Bernick at the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, they have the professional fighter study. And so I like right at the start of all this, I signed up for it. I thought I was completely fine. You know, did all my testing. Uh, and I was talking to him about, you know, what I was seeing with all these fighters. I was like, I don't really, you know, I was like, I'm no real judge like i don't know exactly what to be looking for but mm -hmm. not really seeing these guys being punchy or whatever else there were actually there were two at aka i don't even want to mention their name but they were really slurring their words but yeah. they'd also had a ton of fights they'd taken a lot of damage that was kind of hard to see um but i think i think for the most part it, it takes a while before the damage is going to show mm -hmm. um and I think a big part of that is, you know, it's a, it's the inflammation in the brain that really starts uh, messing up all your hormones. And when you can't regulate your own hormones, like if your hormones are all over the place, that's going to cause, you know, my so many different emotional problems and stuff. So, uh, yeah. yeah, there's I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it. But, yeah, luckily I didn't see too much. And, I, and I'm hoping I'm hoping I don't see too more of it but uh yeah right. you, you can't take so much damage without expecting something to happen um 
You know, I think I think we all kind of think we're immortal. I, I was telling myself, I was like, oh, I dodged a bullet. I got lucky, you know. I mm-hmm. and that was with me getting knocked unconscious like eight times. Oh Plus, wow. Yeah, completely unconscious. And and that doesn't count um all the other concussions I had throughout, you know, training and football and everything else where I wasn't knocked out, but it's still, you know, it was definitely a concussion. Right. Now uh with uh, with the Ivy League football now, uh, which college which college uh, did you play for? That was at uh, Brown University in Rhode oh, Island. Okay. All right, all right, that's cool. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Like some of us, like I've I'm a high school athlete, and we had the big dreams of playing in the NBA in college and all that stuff. And you actually actually went into the Ivy League and played college football. That's that's pretty cool. Um, now, what was what was your experience with that like? I again, I was not a very good football player. Okay. Uh, I was, again, I was big. I was strong. So they put me on the line. Um, and my junior year, I had a pretty good season. Uh, my senior year, I had injuries, didn't play that much. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's kind of the same as when I was a, a football, uh, a fighter, you know, and a boxer. was like, okay, I, I tried. I made it to a, a pretty good level. Like, And that's what I need to do. I need to be happy that I made it to college, you know, mm-hmm. the, the college playing college. I need to be happy that I had professional fights. You know, I, one of my boxing matches uh, that I won was at Caesars Palace. It was like, that was cool. You know, I, was like, I never thought I'd fight in Caesars Palace, even though it was only a four round fight. And, you know, and I, I and I, lo- you know, I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think that highly of it. Like, right. Eh, that was cool. You know, and so I got it. I do need to give myself a little bit of credit for uh, doing some things. Right, yeah, like dude, like playing football in at the college level, and then actually stepping into an octagon and fighting is like one of the things that I would probably never ever do. <laughs> it's like let's just go, let's just go see what that. Like I took jujitsu when I was like in my early twenties, just because it was the UFC just emerged and everybody wanted to be an MMA fighter at that time. So I was like, yeah, I'm gonna take jujitsu because I I knew how to fight a little bit. And I just got my ass kicked for a good three months. And that's what they do. It's like when you go into a jujitsu, especially when you're brand new, that's, mm-hmm. they're going to they're gonna work you <laughs> for a <Yep>. long time. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think that is something everyone should do, man. I, mm-hmm. I think I think everyone needs their ego checked. Um, and I know I do. Like I, I, oh, I yeah. need it all the time. Um, and but when I started training at a uh, tenth planet, because uh, you know when I was going around the the country, I was checking out all these different gyms. And then I found tenth planet. And I was like, oh, okay, I love this. Especially Eddie Bravo, huge pothead. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, but yeah, I was getting destroyed, and I, I was getting beat so badly that I threw away my old blue belt and I put myself back to white belt because oh, wow. I was getting destroyed by all these little guys. And so I had to work my way. You know, I got belted by on blue and then purple, and then I haven't trained since. So. I do want to get back into it, but I think, yeah, I think jujitsu, I think any martial art, but especially jujitsu is great for just lowering that ego and be like, okay, yeah, you know, you're not as tough as you think you are. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I learned that real quick. Like within the first 20 minutes, I was like, ow, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Jujitsu is no, no joke. Like, like they put you in some really tough moves. I didn't know my body could bend like that until someone forced it. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, uh, let's uh, let's talk about your your podcast, uh, uh, Vicious Whispers. Uh, what, when did when did you end up uh, making coming up with that, and why podcasting? Um, I think I got the idea. Man, it was one of those things where I was like, okay, how can I get my stories out there? I saw, I think it was Scott Sigler. He had a very popular podcast. He's an author, uh, sci fi horror. Um, so I was like, okay, let's just try it and. 
originally I did one called Unlocking. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it was a lot of MMA interviews. Uh, this was maybe five years ago, and I hit like a hundred and something episodes. And then I went through this depression, and I so I hit a hundred and let's say hundred thirteen episodes. I started this one as like I was going to do both. Um, okay. I was five episodes into this one, and then I would hit this bad depression, man. And I, I shut everything down. So even though you know I put all that time into unlocking, I just completely like got off all social media. I just couldn't handle anything anymore. I just too overwhelmed with life and everything else. Um, mm-hmm. But I like the idea of the podcast. I'm having fun with it now. Uh, I realize I have a lot more fun when I'm interviewing someone. Uh, the big problem was doing the podcast just with myself. You know, okay. it's like that's boring for me. That's boring for my listeners. You know, uh, my whole thing was, okay, the people are here for the short story. So if they don't want to listen to me, they could just go to the short story at the end. But I don't know. I really enjoy talking to people. So that's one reason why I like Podmatch and a couple other places. So, you know, having that back and forth is just a lot better. Yeah, it was, it was, I was a solo podcaster for a long time. Like when I first started out, like I just recently started doing interviews and it's like when when you do interviews and you and you're a solo podcaster and you want to go back to do like a solo episode, it feels weird. You're just like, uh, I can't believe I used to do this for months and months on end. I think it was oh, I think it was fun, but yeah. you just you kind of gotta, I don't know. You can, like I I use a mirror sometimes, like and I'll stare at myself in the mirror and I'll talk to myself that way, and that helps a little bit. It gives you like the visualization that you're talking to somebody, but you're really not. And I don't know. And mirrors are fun. I know I'm a mirror person. <laughs> that's a, dude, that's a great idea. I never even mm-hmm. thought about that. Um, yeah. In fact, my buddy was saying I, I need to do that with my puppet. I need to start practicing in front of a mirror mm-hmm. uh, so I could actually see how it's working and stop making shitty videos. Uh, <laughs> on, my, on my last podcast, I didn't have a guest on, so I interviewed my puppet. Uh, oh, okay. And that was fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's get into that puppet. Um, is Derek the demon? Am I correct? Yep, there he is. Oh, there um, he is. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, ready to go. Uh, awesome. Now, oh, uh, oh, why did you create Derek the demon? And let's introduce him to to my audience that has never heard of him before. My buddy uh, Jay uh, Campbell, he's a awesome artist. He did my artwork for Ain't No Messiah. Uh, he did a couple of my so he did a couple of my book covers. Did a lot of things with him. And then he just started making it, these puppets. And so I would see his puppets and he had like Kermit the Frog and Gonzo. And But then he was making some original ones. He was making some custom ones. I was like, you know what? I can use that for my, um, you know, just for social media. Just I didn't know I was really going to get into it and like it. Like I mm-hmm. think I've only had him two weeks. Um, but I'm using him quite a bit. Yeah. And, uh, but, it's, it, man, it's, it's fun. One thing I'm, yeah. I realize I'm going to start doing with him is he's going to start interviewing DJs. You know, some of my favorite radio stations. I was like, I want to start interviewing them with Derek. And, uh, yeah, so he listens to heavy metal. He smokes weed. Um, nice. He's from hell. <laughs> and, uh, and so and we're also going to have a second podcast. So my buddy Jay and I are going to have a podcast with Derek and his main character, which is uh, it looks like Cannabis Bud. So okay. it will be a, a very heavy cannabis podcast oh nice nice if yeah. you need a guest dude i'm i am down to talk to puppets <laughs> oh that's awesome yeah no for sure we will we'll get high and then we'll do that for sure oh that'd be awesome yeah that'd be fun really fun um now uh i didn't i didn't get to i didn't give you a chance to do this before the show but before we take off go ahead and take like five or six minutes or whatever whatever you want to do and give some shout outs and let these people who you know who you are and where to find you all right i appreciate it um 
all my stuff is on uh, marktulius.com. Uh, that's my website. Uh, the nice thing about my name is there aren't too many of us. And so it, all my stuff is also on Amazon. Just go type in Mark Tullius. You'll find it all. Uh, horror, sci-fi, suspense, uh, MMA. And something I always do, too. If there's anyone out there that doesn't have money right now for a book but wants to check some out, like send me an email. I'm happy to give free ebooks. Uh, you know, I'm always, especially with the pandemic, man, that hit so many people. And so I would always, uh, I'm always happy to do that. So uh, hit me up on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I think it's all author Mark Tullius. And yeah, man, that's be awesome. I'll, and that's one of the things I, I love connecting with people. Uh, we mm -hmm. have a Facebook private group called Dark and Disturbing Beerfield Fiction. Mm -hmm. And that's probably where I'm the most active, uh, you know, just with people that like that kind of writing. So if you're into that, uh, yeah, hit me up on there. Yeah, uh, I looked at your website and you have a free download. I think it's uh, uh, Morsels of Mayhem. Oh yeah, so yeah, I'm right. That's right. a that's a short ebook. Uh, that one has three short stories and one uh, nonfiction piece. Okay. But the trigger warning: um, there is some violence to animals in one of the stories. <laughs> some oh, okay. people some people have a hard time with that, but I was like, you know what? There is really no different than like Cujo or something like that. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, but it's a little bit of sci-fi horror. It's, it's a sampling of uh, my writing. Okay. Now, uh, real quick before we go, um, do you like horror movies better, or do you like horror books? Probably horror books, man. I'm 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 a sissy when it comes to it. Like to be honest, I can't watch much at all. Um, I don't like scares. I don't like jumps. I I actually don't even like watching violence. I don't know if it's because. Like it just gives me a, like a not a good feeling, um, mm -hmm. and especially if I'm high, I realize it's, it hits me a little bit harder. So it, everyone finds that weird that I, I like to write it. Um, you know, I like scaring people, but I don't want to see it. So I would much rather read it. Oh, nice, nice, nice. All right, all right, sir. Thank you for coming on and taking a little bit of time out of your day and hanging out with me. Um, if again, if you have anybody to shout out, now's the time to do it. <laughs> uh, well dude thank you so much for uh being on here and then i would definitely take you up i would love for derek to uh to interview you i think that's gonna be a lot of fun yeah that's gonna be great that's gonna be great all right guys thank you for uh uh stopping in and play, pressing that play button of course and if you want to tune in next week we have dr Do dominic monaco from city trees out in La las vegas i think either nevada i think it's nevada uh, it's not Las Vegas, even though Las Vegas is in Nevada. But <laughs> go to citytrees.com to check him out. And you can go to marktulius.com to check out all Mark's uh, great books. Um, I have a couple. I have like one of uh, one of the downloads on the way, I believe. All I got to do is download it. So Morsels of Mayhem. I can't wait to read it. And thank you, sir, for coming on the show. Oh, and dude, thank you so much for having me, man. I, I really appreciate it. Awesome, awesome. And I love you guys. Stay up. Peace. Each dawn, I die. The girl he called Laura buried her face in the pillow. Her crying returned to full-blown sobs. Vic stroked her shoulder and tried to shush her, wished he could remember her real name. She eased up a little with his touch. There you go. That's better, he said. It's not that I don't like you, but I gotta sleep by myself. She jerked away from him. It's nothing personal. She screamed into the pillow. I know. Vic stopped pretending with his nice voice.
You need to get up. He grabbed the stained wipe-up towel and wrapped it around his waist. She peeled her face away from the pillow and looked at him, her face a black mess of smeared mascara. Sounding much younger than the eighteen years she claimed, she asked, Where are you going now? Vic opened his bedroom door and called to George, who was passed out on the couch. Hey, I need you to help me out. No, no, I don't want anybody in here, the girl pleaded. George had been Vic's boy for nearly a decade. They'd met in Principal Jenner's office after getting caught buying ecstasy. George rubbed his eyes and ran a hand over his shaved head. Come on, lady, you gotta go. Oh my God, she said to Vic. You're such a jerk. Vic turned his face to her. I'm sorry, I have to get up early. George will take you home. I can't go home. I told my parents I'm staying at Amy's. Vic rolled his eyes at the ridiculousness. He needed to start doing a better job of checking IDs. As he headed for the bathroom, he told George, Handle this quietly, please. He could hear her yells with the door closed, even with the shower running. The sound of the radio, though, made her disappear. When he walked out of the bathroom, she was still gone. He slipped on his boxers and fired up his laptop, opened the website. 15,000 views. Not bad for a half-dead fish in the sack, he thought. Vic had been running his site, maybe legal, for two years. The numbers had been on the uptick for the past nine months. All of Vic's girls were real. Real homely, real naive. Some were real ugly, but most importantly, they were real virgins. Virgins weren't easy to come by these days, but Vic made do by prowling the malls and local water park. Their first forays into porn were then broadcast to 53 countries. Vic got fan mail from all over, none stranger than one from a guy in Bulgaria, asking if he could shoot a video with a girl riding a G.I. Joe action figure. Three quick knocks at the door, and Vic jumped to his feet. He checked the eye hole. Too many of the girls came running back for their phone, panties, or just to see if he'd call them the next day. Most never wanted to see him again. He was shocked at how many did. George entered, his hand pressed to his ear, small trail of blood running down his neck. Stupid bitch. Vic asked, What the hell happened to you? She bit me, man. She fucking bit me. Bit you? Yeah. I was telling her how good she looked. Thought maybe I'd get some seconds, and then she fucking bit me. George went to the bathroom to clean up, and Vic laughed grabbed an energy drink from the fridge. He cracked it open and took a long swig. Not really caring, he asked, She say anything? She said maybe five words the whole ride. Right here, left there. Didn't seem too happy. Well, can't please them all. George came out of the bathroom a few minutes later, three bandages awkwardly taped to his ear. His fat frame filled the doorway as he flicked on the light. Holy shit, it looks like you killed someone. Vic chuckled, took a swig, and sat down at his computer as George snapped photos of the bloody bedspread. George yanked off the old sheets, pulled a new pair of silk linens from the closet, and slid them onto the mattress. He smoothed them down, arranged the pillows. She any good? Eh, all right. He refreshed the website and said, Oh, shit. I guess no one cares. She got 34,347 views. Not bad for two hours. 
George shoved the old sheets in the trash bag, twirled it closed, tied the end in a knot. She was super hot, though. He nodded at the cabinet with the recording equipment. She know? I don't know. George joined Vic in the living room. Any new prospects? Yeah. This chick's dad's a pastor. Crazy. Every new girl guaranteed a few new members, but subscriptions were skyrocketing. Tonight, Laura had already brought in 74 at 20 bucks a pop. George shook his head, helped himself to the fridge. I don't know how the hell you'd do it. Vic wanted to say that it was because he made them feel special, but even he didn't believe that anymore. Got anything lined up for tomorrow? George plopped down on the couch, smacked his lips with each bite of yogurt. Need me to stick around, or uh, can I, um... He was interrupted by a pounding on the front door. Did you not lock the front gate? Vic asked. I did. I, I always do. Vic shook his head, got up from the computer, but reconsidered answering the door. See who it is. He headed into the bedroom. I'm not here. Another bang. George took another bite of yogurt. They're not here for me. Vic was too tired for this. How much do I pay you? Do you want to get a real job? George muttered under his breath and headed to the door. He opened it and said, He's not... An old woman in a dark brown dress barged across the threshold, back George to the wall without so much as a touch, her decrepit finger and long, brittle nails inches from his lips. He pointed towards the bedroom. Vic threw on his robe and barely beat the woman to the doorway, not wanting to get trapped in this room with her. The woman looked Middle Eastern, like her leathery brown skin had been blown dry by wind and sand. Her angry eyes were cold and red from tears. Vic motioned towards the door. You need to get out of here. The woman brought her hand to her mouth, spit in it, and flung the saliva toward Vic. She shouted something that he couldn't understand, but the hatred translated perfectly. Vic wiped the spit from his face, pushed the woman towards the front door. Get out of here before I call the cops, you psycho bitch. Vic looked at George, but George didn't move. The woman did, turning her back on Vic. She stopped next to George and spoke in broken English. You part of this? He shook his head and kicked the trash bag. Uh, I, I just clean up. Vic's face still felt wet, but his hand came away dry. Look, I'm calling the cops, he said, headed for the phone. So you better get the fuck out of here. The door slammed. The woman had already left, and George threw the deadbolt. Why did you let her in? Vic said. George's face was whiter than the time he thought he'd had testicular cancer. Who was she? Vic hurried to the sink and splashed water over his face. How the hell would I know? You, you've never seen her? There was a large Lebanese community on the south side of town, but Vic rarely went down there. Something about her seemed familiar, though. Maybe from a restaurant. I, I got no idea. George pointed to the computer. You probably screwed her granddaughter. That wasn't just some random nut job. Chill out. I bet you anything, George said. Vic waved him off and George grabbed the trash bag and camera. I'd be careful, Vic. She, she could come back. Maybe I'll have to get someone over here that can actually do something about it, Vic said as George left. Vic had hired George because he was big and didn't ask for much money. Maybe Vic needed to spend some serious cash for legitimate protection. 
the number of girls on the site had climbed to 63, and at least half a dozen of them probably had dads in the picture. Vic threw the deadbolt and walked over to the computer. He wasn't worried, but it'd be good just to make sure. Another fan had called him the Virgin Slayer. He liked that, thought about adding it to his masthead, then scrolled through the photos. He was three months deep when Becky's profile and bloody sheet popped up. She'd been his waitress. They'd gone out drinking. He'd brought her home. Waitress. Shit. The old woman had been at the counter. Becky had introduced her as her grandmother. George had been right. How had she found him here? Had Becky actually told her grandmother about what had happened? It had been three months ago. Vic couldn't sleep. His bedroom was pitch dark. There was a loud noise outside. It sounded like something scraping his shuttered bedroom window. It's not the old lady, he told himself, ashamed to even think something so stupid. He was on the third floor. It was probably a bird on a window ledge. Still, the old bitch had been in his head all night long. It was almost six o'clock. The sun was about to come up and he needed rest for a heavy day at the gym. Vic grabbed a pair of earplugs and a sleep mask from the nightstand. He had one earplug in when the scrape came again. Deeper and louder. Stop being a pussy. Vic pulled back the shutters and saw the first rays of light washing away the last of the pre-dawn shadows. He didn't see it right away. Not until the scraping continued. A tendril of black mist slowly swirling in the air on the other side of the window. Three beings took their forms, each floating. The one in the middle looked closest to human. A pale face wearing a black medieval doctor's mask. He wore a dark robe, his bony hand gripping a scalpel. On the other side of him were his henchmen, with heads of jackals and talons for hands. I'm fucking dreaming, Vic said aloud to snap himself out of the nightmare. The trio floated forward, seeped through the edges of the glass. Vic slammed the shutters, but the thick black mist poured through the cracks. They began to solidify, once again taking their previous forms. But the henchmen each grabbed an arm and dropped Vic onto the bed, pinning him down, their talons ripping through his flesh. The doctor produced a curved metal tube from his dusty robe, inserted it between Vic's lips. It clinked against Vic's teeth tore into the back of his throat. Vic studied the doctor's pale, rotting face, searching the black sockets that should have held eyes. The beast's chuckle paralyzed Vic as the blood poured down his throat. The doctor whispered something unintelligible, produced a glass jar filled with spiders and scorpions scrambling over each other. He unscrewed the lid and held it to the tube. Vic's mind screamed as the creatures poured inside him. His body bucked against the, the henchmen who were holding him down. Soon, the container was empty. The death doctor tossed it aside. Vic never heard it hit the floor. He couldn't breathe. His windpipe clogged, and thousands of bristly feet finding their way up from every path, fire-filled stings blurring his thoughts. Vic had never wanted to die until this moment. He opened his eyes and found the death doctor's decaying face just inches from his own. His foul breath tinged with rotting meat seeped through the mask. He pulled the tube from Vic's throat, then slid a magnifying monocle from his robe, placed it where his right eyeball should have been. A small silver dot in the eye socket grew larger in the glass. The doctor pinched Vic's cheeks and peered down his swelling throat. Vic couldn't understand the doctor's words, 
but he recognized the language. It was the same nonsense as the old woman's, and he didn't have to speak the tongue to understand the evil dripping from those words. A distinctive metal click pulled Vic out of the panic. The doctor had just tapped the blade of the scalpel to the bedpost. Vic stayed conscious long enough to see his belly split open, the fading doctor and his henchmen smiling as the creature skittered out from his intestines. Vic shot out of bed, his mind racing, trying to get his bearings. He was in his house, the house his parents had left him when they'd passed. He saw the tripod in the closet. It was all a dream, he thought, as he placed his feet on the floor. A sharp pain shot through his big toe. A shard of glass was sticking out of it. He plucked it out, looked at the ground. Dozens of spiders and scorpions were racing around the pile of broken glass. This was no dream. It was late afternoon. He opened his shirt, felt the stitches running down his chest. What the fuck, man? Maybe I'm still sleeping? But he wasn't. The blood trailing behind him as he pulled himself to the living room told him that. His computer was still up and running. Becky's profile was on the screen. But, but he turned it off, hadn't he? The old woman's laugh echoed in his head. Had she slipped him something? She'd gotten spit in his mouth. Maybe it had been laced. He ran back to the room, hoping the spiders and scorpions were gone. They were still crawling over his dirty underwear on the floor. The old bitch had done something. For the next few hours, he tried to figure out exactly what. He called George, but there was no answer, and his voicemail was full. Vic paced as Becky's eyes seemed to follow him around the room. Finally, he deleted her profile and videos. Still, he felt her judging from somewhere. He threw on his old jeans and a shirt and grabbed the gun under the sweaters in the closet. He got in his Porsche and drove to the alley across the street from where he dropped Becky off. It was dark except for the light in the girl's house. He didn't bother locking the car. Three fifty-seven tucked in his belt, the baggy shirt hiding it. He stepped in front of the white picket fence and stared at the snarling pit bull on the opposite side. The old woman's gravelly voice jolted Vic. She stood on the porch, staring at him through dark, cataract sunglasses. You came, she said, sounding pleased. Vic realized he hadn't thought about what to say. He felt silly and exposed out here on the street. It doesn't look like he likes me. Oh, he will. At least the taste of you. The old woman loved seeing him squirm. He couldn't show his true emotions. He had to be smart. Diplomatic. If that didn't work, there was always the gun. I need to see your granddaughter. I have no granddaughter. The young girl that works with you. She introduced us. That's why you came over. That's not why I came over. I want to apologize. It actually felt good to say that. But the look of disgust on the old woman's face made Vic want to shrivel up and disappear. You don't even know her real name, but suddenly you feel the need to apologize. Why? The girl's name came back to him. Gabby. Her name's Gabby. Gabrielle. I already took her off the website. I destroyed the recording. How thoughtful. The old woman spat on the ground. I can pay you. She deserves that. Five grand? That's the filthy money you make off of all those poor girls. Using them like they were trash. 
I didn't use them. I, I gave them. You lied to them. Look, I, I'm, I'm sorry if you think I. Can I please talk to her? The old woman shook her head. She didn't come down for breakfast one morning. I went to her room, saw the computer was on. There was a movie playing on the screen. I watched ten seconds of the filth and turned it off. I heard the water running. Gabriel was in the bathroom. The bathwater was so red I couldn't see her legs. She died as the sun came through the window. Vic placed his hand on the fence. He felt sick. The pit bull growled and leapt for his hand, snagging his knuckle. Vic jumped back. I'm so sorry. And you'll remain sorry for the rest of your life. There was no reasoning with her. The pit bull rammed itself against the fence. The beast was going to break through. Vic whipped out the gun as a black mist surrounded the woman. It flew at Vic, surrounding the gun until it pointed back at his own face. He felt his finger tensing. There was nothing he could do. The old lady said, There will be no end. The gun fired. Vic lifted his head from the piss-stained pillow in the abandoned house he'd been squatting in. It had been a solid six hours since his last death, his seventy-sixth in a row. The taste of hydrochloric acid sat on his tongue as Vic slipped out of bed and headed straight for the recording equipment piled on the moving box. Vic played the footage from last night and turned on the small monitor. On the screen, Vic moved around the dark room, then fell asleep on the bed. He fast-forwarded a few minutes and slowed it to where he rose to check the oncoming dawn. When his recorded self turned to the door, no one else could be seen on the video, but his body was miraculously lifted into the air and slammed onto the bed. There was no need to relive the experience. Vic turned everything off and headed into the bathroom. He grabbed a bottle of Listerine, filled his mouth, and gargled. He'd made the mistake of glancing at the mirror. He was only twenty-four, but the dark bags under his eyes were getting bigger and blacker every day. His head full of dark brown hair had gone bone white and started falling out. He'd considered dyeing it and getting Rogaine, but what's the point? A few more dawns like this, and it'd all be gone. Maybe that was part of the curse, to end up looking like that damn woman. All he needed now were the liver spots. Vic spat the mouthwash out and grabbed his toothbrush. If the Listerine couldn't kill the taste of the acid, he doubted the toothpaste would help. But he gave it a shot. The sight of his emaciated arm moving back and forth made him break down and weep. He was falling apart. He'd lost over fifty pounds since the curse. With his withered frame, he could never again seduce a female. But that was the last thing he wanted now. He just wanted this to end. How nice it would be to fall back to sleep like a normal person and wake with the sun pouring through the window. He used to sleep in every morning. Now he was lucky to get a couple of hours of fitful rest each night. Vic threw on his jeans, put on the dark blue tank top that used to showcase his biceps, but now only exposed his atrophied arms. Death did not exist. Not for him. Whether it was the doctor and his henchmen, or by his own hand, the permanence of death couldn't happen. He tried everything. Slitting his wrists, jumping off skyscrapers, bridges. 
He'd driven his car off a cliff and eaten more bullets than he could remember. Sleeping pills didn't work either, always wearing off at first light. Vic had fled west in an attempt to escape the dawn, but the bastards had followed and flooded his throat with a steady flow of viscous oil. They lit it on fire in Illinois. They forced razor blades through his trachea in Albuquerque. Then the doctor took a chainsaw to his chest in Wyoming. There were the Dobermans in Cheyenne. Being ripped apart by dogs had been the worst. He'd lost everything within the first month. His house, his bank account, every one of his so-called friends after he shut down the website. He traveled around the country seeking out the girls he betrayed. Some forgave him. Most did not. It didn't matter where he was. Each dawn, he died. Usually he was alone. But a few times there were spectators. He avoided crowded places because the doctor never left witnesses. Good Samaritans, thinking he was having a grand mall, were torched and gutted. So, Vic stayed in the darkness. He ate whatever scraps he found in dumpsters, drank his belly full of cheap wine, hoping to numb the pain. But the doctor would leech his blood until he was sober enough to feel the blade. Vic prayed for natural causes to eventually strip him of his strength. Prayed the doctor would one day grow tired and find someone new. But each morning he'd rise and see that wretched sun. This was his life. And it would never end. Scene one, Apple, take one. <laughs> you want to get high? That's right. <laughs>